The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Welcome to New Song Church at home. We're so glad that you decided to worship with us this morning. We are in week two of a two-part series called Faith Over Fear, and I'm excited. I want to encourage you guys to lean in today. I know that God has a word for you. If you have your Bible, grab that. If you don't, don't worry. We've got verses that are going to be up on the screen for you. If you've got a notebook, get that too. I think that God wants to, to really reveal some things to you, and it would be great to have a place to write those down. So get out your Bibles, get out your notebooks, do whatever you need to do, silence your phone, send the kids upstairs, put a movie on for them, and let's get started. The title of this message today is Miracle Mindset. We're going to be talking about how to have a miracle mindset And we're going to start uh, in Mark chapter 8, where we're going to camp out all day, actually. And we're going to look at a miracle, uh, one of Jesus's that he did that's not quite as popular. It's one that tends to get like skimmed over, passed by, because it's really similar to another one of Jesus's miracles that he did that's gotten all the press for the last 2,000 years. In fact, if you were to ask anybody, uh, churched, unchurched, to name a miracle of Jesus, more than likely they're going to throw in the feeding of the five. 5,000. We, we all know about the time when Jesus took five loaves of bread and two fish and he multiplied it. He fed over 5,000 people, men, women, and children. There were enough for 12 baskets of leftovers. This is the story that makes it into uh, your kids' picture Bible book, coloring pages. We're going to talk about it once a year in our kids' Sunday school curriculum, the feeding of the 5,000. We all know this miracle well, but did you know that Jesus also fed 4,000? He did. It's true. In Mark chapter 8, we're about to look at this. But this is the one uh, that people pass over. When we're talking about the feeding miracles, we always want to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. And I get it. I get it. Like 5,000 is more than 4,000. So it sounds a little bit more impressive. Um, Another reason that we like to talk about this one is because it happened first. If you're reading your Bible in Mark chapter 6, you'll find the feeding of the 5,000. And then just two chapters later is the feeding of the 4,000. So if you've already read it, you're going to get to Mark chapter 8 and be like, yeah, yeah, I get it. There was fish. There was bread. There was a bunch of people. They were hungry. Jesus fed them. You're going to glaze right over it and get on to the next miracle. But today, I want to look at the lesser of the two miracles, the almost famous miracle, the feeding of the 4,000. Because I really love this miracle, and I love that both Matthew and Mark included it in their Gospels. That tells me that there's something here for us, that there's something the Holy Spirit wanted us to see in this miracle of Jesus. So let's look at it together, starting in verse number one. About this time, another large crowd had gathered and the people ran out of food again. So it's a different crowd same problem, they've run out of food. You have to remember they didn't have yetis and things like that to keep things cool, to keep things uh, from perishing. So they've run out of food. And Jesus called his disciples and told them, I feel sorry for these people. They've been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will faint along the way for some of them have come a long distance. Now, I would like to believe that the people that came a long distance 
that they came prepared. I'm sure that they had a picnic lunch, that they had some non-perishable items ready to go, but they weren't probably planning on being there for three days, for 72 hours. Think about that next time you're at church and you're there for three services and you're getting kind of gripey because you haven't had your granola bar. These people were there for three days. And I think what happened is they weren't planning on staying, but once they got there and they got to see what Jesus was doing, he was healing the blind and the lame and the mute. They were captivated with his presence. So I think really their, hang, their hunger kind of went to the background. They didn't even realize they were hungry. They're just enjoying and soaking up this ministry of Jesus. And then it's time to go home. And Jesus is like, man, they're going to pass out if they don't get some food. So he begins to feel sorry for them. He begins to have compassion for them. Now, one thing important to note here is that uh, they weren't complaining about being hungry. I think sometimes we think that complaining is going to move the hand of God, but that's not what moved Jesus. It was compassion. Compassion moved him. So he goes to his disciples and he says, let's do something about this. In verse four, his disciples replied. Now, before we look at this reply, I need you to remember with me that these are the same disciples that were with Jesus in Mark chapter 6 that helped feed the 5,000. They were the ones who gave the bread and the fish to him that they got from a little boy. They were the ones that helped hand it out. They were the ones that organized the groups of people. They even ate of this bread and this fish, this miracle meal. They were more than a part of it. They more than experienced it. They were the hands and feet of this miracle. And here's how they reply when Jesus says he wants to feed this crowd of 4,000 plus men or plus women and children. They say, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? Now, if I were Jesus, and thank God that I'm not, because if I were Jesus, I would have slapped somebody and I would have fired somebody and I would have been like, you guys are idiots. Like, bring me some disciples who remember what I just did two chapters ago. But that's not how Jesus replied. Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? This is pretty interesting. Seven loaves, they replied. They had seven loaves of bread on them. And here is why I think that this story made it into the Gospels, even though it's so similar to the feeding of the 5,000. I think the Holy Spirit wanted us to see that if the disciples, who were more than in that miracle, they were the hands and feet of it, they were experiencing it. If they, who had seen Jesus do all of these miraculous things, they had seen him be a multiplier, if they were right there in it and could that quickly forget how powerful and how miraculous Jesus was, then how much more at risk are we here now, 2,000 years later, for forgetting the goodness and the faithfulness of God? Why didn't they immediately take the seven loaves that they had, place it in the hands of Jesus and say, here, Jesus, do, the, do your thing. You are a multiplier. I've seen you move. Now I want to see you do it again. But that's not what they did. Verse 6, Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves. They weren't gonna give it over to him. They weren't gonna offer it up. They're saying, what do you want us to do about this? He finds out they have the bread. He takes the seven loaves. He thanked God for them and broke them into pieces. He gave them to his disciples who distributed the bread to the crowd. 
A few small fish were found too. So Jesus blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. They ate as much as they wanted. They ate till they were full. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. There were about 4,000 men in the crowd that day and Jesus sent them home after they had eaten. So there you have it. Jesus did not just feed 5,000. He fed 9,000 plus women and children with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. Now, something that I want you to notice about this story is the seven large baskets of leftovers. This is going to be an important detail for later. Uh, In the feeding of the 5,000, there was leftovers, but it was just 12 baskets, 12 small wicker baskets. This is different. There were seven large baskets made out of rope, the same type of baskets that it talks about in Acts chapter 9 that they put the Apostle Paul in so that they could sneak him over this wall. So these were apostle-sized baskets of leftovers, full of food, leftovers for days, right? Okay, so they have this miracle. There's plenty of food left over. And then what happens next is Jesus and his disciples, they get on a boat and they travel six hours across the lake to go do some more ministry. Now, when they arrive to their destination, six hours later, they get out of the boat and there's Pharisees there. And they're waiting on Jesus and they begin to demand for him to do a miracle. And Jesus is like, yeah, no, that's not how I operate. He gets back in the boat. He's like, come on guys, we're not staying here. And they start to make another trip across the lake. And then look what happens next. I think that we can all relate to this verse. Verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring any food. They only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat. How many of you guys have uh, ever forgot your leftovers at a restaurant? This happens to me all the time. Like nine out of 10 times, I'm going to forget the doggy bag on the table, just walk off and leave it. And then on the one chance that I do remember it, then when I get home, I'm gonna leave it in the car and I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna remember it's there till the next day I get in my car and my, my car smells like hideaway pizza for the rest of the week. If you're watching on Facebook Live or on YouTube, let's see the place that you most, uh, most often forget your leftovers from. Send us some comments. Where do you forget your leftovers on the table. For us, it's always hideaway. Okay, so imagine the disciples. They get on this boat. Uh, they're, they're now realizing, they didn't realize they left the doggy bags behind uh, when they left for the first trip across the lake. But now they're hungry. They, 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 the, the food that they had eaten at the miraculous meal, it's worn off. They realize they're not staying where they thought they were going to stay. They start to get hungry and they realize, oh man, we forgot the baskets of leftovers. All we have is one loaf of bread here. And Jesus, he begins to teach them in the boat about the yeast of the Pharisees. And when they start to hear about the yeast of the Pharisees, they start to think about bread. It begins to intensify their hunger. It's just kind of like when you're on a fast and you're watching the Food Network and uh, you watch Guy Fieri take a bite of this big greasy burger and it just intensifies your hunger. That's what's happening here. And uh, they are not getting the point of what Jesus is trying to tell them through this food illustration. They're missing it completely. They begin to talk amongst each other, argue with one one another. You left the the food back behind. You forgot the leftovers. They're pointing fingers, blaming. Jesus knows this is all going on. Look at how he responds in verse 17. Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you arguing about having no bread? Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? 
You have eyes, can't you see? You have ears, can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? When I fed the 5,000 with five loaves of bread, how many baskets of leftovers did you pick up afterward? 12, they said. He's reminding them, I am a miracle worker. I'm a multiplier. And when I fed the 4,000 with seven loaves, how many large baskets of leftovers did you pick up? Seven, they said. Don't you understand yet? He asked them. And the story ended. That's where the story ends. I imagine that the disciples sat very quietly in that boat for the rest of the trip. Jesus was amazed at their short-term memory loss. He was amazed at these miraculous miracles that they were so a part of that didn't mark them in a greater way. They didn't mark them in a greater way. They have one loaf of bread on the boat between these 12 guys and Jesus. And they also have on the boat a man that they just saw turn seven loaves into enough to feed 4,000. But instead of looking at him, they start pointing fingers and arguing. Are your hearts too hard? Jesus says, can't you see? Can't you hear? Don't you remember? Don't you understand yet? You know, I think that we all want so badly to believe that our trust is fully in God. Uh, we we want to believe that. We, wanna, we say that. I trust God completely. But what happens is when we find ourselves in time of need or when the rubber meets the road type of moments, when we're in need of a miracle, our actions often prove otherwise. We've seen him work in our lives over and over and over again. If you're alive and you're breathing and you're a born again Christian, you've seen him work over and over and over again. You've seen his hand time and time again. We gather together on Sundays and sing about the goodness of our God and how he turns graves into gardens and how he turns mourning into dancing. We've all experienced these things. We open our Bible and we read about it. But when we find ourselves in need, whether it's feeding 4,000 or feeding 12 or feeding our family of five or paying an electricity bill, what do we do? We ask God, like the disciples asked Jesus, how are we supposed to do that? I wonder how many times Jesus has seen us worrying, toiling, spinning our wheels, tossing and turning, and he's looking at us going, man, don't they remember don't they understand? Can't they see? I gave them eyes. Can't they hear? Can't they, can't they understand how good I am? I think these questions that Jesus asked the disciples, these are all questions that we need to be asking ourselves, like heart check questions on a daily basis. Because if our hearts are hard and we're having trouble hearing the voice of God and seeing the goodness of God and understanding and remembering his faithfulness, then what's going to happen is we're going to miss out on the miracles that he wants to do in our life. I think right now, more than ever, we're in need of miracles. I don't want to just get through this season of the coronavirus. I want to see God move miraculously in this season, in our lives, in our city, in our church, in our communities, in our nation. But are we believing to just get through it or are we believing God for miracles? We have a miracle working God. He's still in the business of doing miracles. So we need to adapt a miracle mindset. And to do that, we need to ask ourselves these five questions. So we're going to break these down this morning. The first question that Jesus asked on the boat that day was, are your hearts too hard to take it in? 
to take what in? to take him in, to take the wonder and awe of what he was doing in, to take the miracles in, to take in the fact that they were there with the son of the most high God. It's like, are your hearts too hard to take it in? If we want to see miracles happen in our lives, then we have to make sure that we keep our hearts pliable and soft. One of my girl's favorite things to do is play with Play-Doh. And I really like when they play with Play-Doh because it's one of the more quiet activities that they like to engage in as opposed to like karaoke. They're so into karaoke right now, especially during this like stay at home phase. Of course, it's now that they get into karaoke. Um, But I like when they play with Play-Doh because it's relaxing, it's quiet, it makes a huge mess, but I don't mind the mess because it usually keeps them uh, occupied for like two hours. And so make all the mess you want if it's gonna keep you that busy. But we love it, you know, you can make pies out of these little Play-Dohs. That's what they love to make, cupcakes. There's the classic like snake that you can make with Play-Doh. But here's the thing. Every time we play with Play-Doh, when we're going to clean up, it's going to happen. We are going to either not put the lid on all the way or not put the lid on at all, put it all away in the shelf, and then when we come back, the Play-Doh is going to be as hard as a rock. We're not going to be able to make anything out of it, no pies, no snakes. It's basically a rock, and we have to throw it away. Our hearts are actually a lot like Play-Doh, and we have to make sure that we're keeping them soft. And what happens is when things go wrong in life, when things don't go as planned, when we're believing God for something and something else happens, it turns out another way. When we get hurt, when we experience bitterness, confusion, loss, anything like that, what happens is things build up in our hearts and those things start to build off build up and we pop the lid to our heart and then our heart sits there and it's exposed it's exposed to the lies of the enemy and those lies and that bitterness and the things that we're dealing with it causes our heart to dry up and then God can't do miracles in our lives we've seen this I've seen this happen a lot of times where people have been hurt they've been let down and they haven't guarded their heart like King David uh, was was uh, instructed by his father to do in Proverbs for Solomon said, hey, let me give you some advice, David. Above all else, above all else, above all else, guard your heart because it's from your heart that everything else in life flows from. So we've seen people that they haven't guarded their heart. They've allowed their heart to get dry and hard. I remember um, when we first started the church, Josh preached a message on healing. And after that message, it was the first time, not the last, but the first time that somebody emailed to let us know that they were leaving the church and they were leaving over that healing message. And they wanted us to know that they didn't believe that that Jesus was still in the healing business and that we shouldn't be preaching that because they had an experience that proved otherwise in their eyes. Uh, They had somebody that they loved, that they were praying for, using their faith, speaking the word. The person was using their faith, believing God, anointed with oil, you know, all the things that you can do in scripture, communion, and that person died. They died an early death. And so to them, that experience, it made the, the promises of God's healing null and void in their minds. And so they said, we're leaving the church and, and we want to encourage you to not teach this like it's the truth or like it exists anymore. So their hearts were so hardened that they could no longer believe for a miracle for themselves, but they didn't want anybody else, us to give them hope to believe that God is still a miracle working. God, their hearts had grown hardened. And listen, I get it. 
I understand that there are times in life when things don't go according to plan. When I was 20 weeks pregnant with our third child, I had to deliver that baby, that baby that I had prayed for, that baby that I had confessed God's word over, that baby that I was every day saying, God, I thank you that you're, you're perfectly, fearfully, wonderfully knitting this child together in my womb. I had to deliver that baby stillborn at 20 weeks. It was not, uh, not at all what I had been praying for. And I had to guard my heart in that moment, in that season, because what I saw didn't line up uh, with what I saw in God's word. And so I had to choose to say, you know what, just because my circumstance doesn't line up with the truth of God's word, I'm not going to throw this away. I'm not going to throw my hope in Jesus Christ away. I'm not going to throw away the hope to have another pregnancy that, that could go smoothly. I'm not going to stop believing his promises concerning childbirth. I'm not going to be- stop believing with other women when they come to me and say, pray over this pregnancy. I'm not going to say, nope, it doesn't work because look what happened to me. I had to guard my heart. I chose to keep it, uh, I chose to keep it soft and pliable so that God could continue to do miracles in our life. And he did. He did a miracle. I have a little miracle baby that happened after that the loss of Felix. Her name is Sunny. She's a constant reminder that if you will not uh, let your heart get hardened, that God can do miracles in your life. I think the disciples, they may have had hardened hearts um, just being in ministry because ministry will harden your heart real fast. Um, Seeing people the way they treated Jesus, dealing with Pharisees, uh, dealing with sheep that bite. I don't know what happened, but there was something that was causing their heart to be hardened or to be calloused. In Luke chapter 8, Jesus teaches the parable of uh, the farmer scattering the seed. And I want to encourage you, New Song, read Luke chapter 8 this week uh, about that parable because it can really give you a lot of insight into how you can guard your heart. But in verse 15, this is really interesting. It says, the seeds that fell on the good soil, the seed represents God's word, and the good soil represents the condition of our heart. Is your heart soft and pliable and moldable and teachable? Is it fertile soil? It says the seeds that fell on good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a harvest. So if you want to guard your heart and keep it soft, here's what you have to do. You have to hear God's word, you have to cling to God's word, and you have to wait patiently for a harvest. I think a lot of times we hear God's word, but we don't cling to God's word. We hear it, but then when our circumstances don't line up with it, we let it go. If you want to keep a soft heart, you have to hear it and cling to it no matter what. The second question that Jesus asked the disciples was, can't you see? You have eyes, can't you see? When I was in third grade, I went to the eye doctor for a routine eye exam and uh, they were amazed at how poor my vision was. Like the doctor was shocked that I wasn't struggling in school. I had like negative six something in one eye, negative eight in the other. And I had no idea. I just thought the way that I saw is how everybody saw. But uh, my eyes were really opened, literally and figuratively. The next week when I went back to the eye doctor and I picked up my new prescription glasses, I put those bad boys on and on the way home in my little minivan, I remember just looking out the window and being like, oh my gosh, like I can see things and notice things I've never noticed before. Like I didn't know that 
a roof was made up of shingles. I thought it was like one flat surface, one big piece of material on the roof. I couldn't see the detail of the shingles because my eyes were out of focus. The shingles were there all along. I just couldn't see them because my eyes were out of focus. Or have you ever been to a, um, a park like Martin Nature Park? They've got a big telescope out there and you run up to look through it and when you first look, look through it, it's usually blurry. Like you don't know what, you have, to, you have to take a little bit of time and mess with that dial to bring into focus what you're trying to see. To focus on something, it takes work, it takes intentionality, and it takes effort. This morning, how are the eyes of your heart? What are the eyes of your heart focusing on? The disciples were present when Jesus fed the 5,000 and when he fed the 4,000. They more than experienced those miracles, but perhaps they were distracted. Perhaps they saw with their physical eyes, but they didn't see with the eyes of their heart. How many know that God can be doing something amazing, but if you aren't intentionally focused, you can miss out on it. Maybe the disciples were there that day, but they missed out on it because they were too busy trying to insta-story the whole thing, right? One of those disciples was trying to document everything, capture it, and, and, and write down the facts so they could write about it later. Or maybe they were, so, they, they were there, but they were so busy thinking about the task and the organizing the people. Maybe the people just kind of wore on them, and, and people were raising their hand, and I haven't got mine yet. And, I, and the work of what they were doing in that, maybe, maybe they never stepped back, took a step back, and just looked with their eyes to see the amazing things that God was doing. They saw it all, but did they see it with the eyes of their heart? I think sometimes we, we get focused on what's next and then things in our past. The word says that we serve a God who was and who is and who will be. But I think sometimes we get stuck between the was and the will be. This is what he did, this is what I want. This is what he did, this is what I want. This is what he did, this is what I want. And we forget that he's also the God of is, who was, who is, and who will be. Don't get so focused on what he did and that what you want that you cannot see what he's doing right now in this season. He is doing miracles right now. We have to focus our eyes. We wanna make sure that we're not missing out on miracles that are taking place each day. We need to adjust our our focus. We need to push back. We need to make things blurry like uh, fear-based media and all the unknowns and the chaos. We need to push that stuff out of our, our laser focus and we need to bring God's goodness and what he's doing right now into our main focus. If you focus on seeing God's goodness, if you look for it and you're determined to see it, you will see it. You have eyes, can't you see, get focused. And then the third question that Jesus asked was, can't you hear? You have ears, can't you hear? And I think that this is the question um, or the thing that the disciples struggled with the most. Like, I feel like these guys, they had a hard time listening. Like maybe they had some, some learning disabilities or something that, that caused them to not be able to focus. They were always asking the wrong questions and it seems like they were missing a lot of things. It says, can't you hear. Here's the thing. If your ears aren't open, if your ears aren't open to the right things, then your faith isn't growing. 
If your ears aren't open, your faith isn't growing. And if you want to see miracles, and we all need miracles right now, if we want to see miracles, we have to have faith. Faith is the way that God works in us, through us, and to us. It's through our faith in Him. If we want our faith to grow, if we want faith to come, we have to have our ears open. Romans 10, 17 says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Faith comes when our ears are open to hear. Not just anything, not man's opinion, uh, not, not just this message that I'm preaching right now. Faith will come when you hear the word of God. We have to have our eyes open and our ears open to hear the word of God. So what did Jesus say? What were his words? What did he speak to the disciples that should have stirred some faith up in them? What were their ears not hearing? I think one of the things that he said that he wants to say to you today, that he wants you to hear today, is the same thing he said to them. How much bread do you have? How much bread do you have? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? I'll give you a hint. He's saying, how much bread do you have? He's saying, what's in your hand today? What's in your hand? Can you open your ears to hear him saying that right now? He's saying whatever you have in your hand, even though you might not think it's enough, the disciples never thought what they had was enough. This isn't enough to feed 5,000. This isn't enough to feed 4,000. This one loaf of bread, it's not enough to feed 12 in the boat. What's in your hand right now? I need you to hear him asking you that, and I need you to hear him saying, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, I can work with that. You may look at it and say, my faith is not enough. I don't have enough faith. You have more faith than you think you do because he's given each person a measure of faith and he would not shortchange you. He's given each person a measure of faith. And he also says that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed. So you may look at your faith and think, I have one loaf of bread worth of faith. It's not enough. I don't want to believe God for healing because I don't think I have enough faith for it. I, I can't believe God for restoration in my marriage because I don't, even have, I don't even have a loaf of bread. I have a crumb. And it's like a crumb from the Grinch who stole Christmas that is much too small for the other whose mouse is. Like it is a little tiny, teeny crumb. I don't have enough faith for God to restore my marriage. So I'm just going to hold on to it. This isn't enough. So I'm not going to put it in Jesus's hands. This isn't enough faith to see uh, a miracle in my finances, to see a miracle in this country, to see a revival in this country. This isn't enough faith to see my prodigal son come back home. I don't have enough, so I'm just going to hold on to it. He wants you to hear this morning, whatever you have in your hand, whatever faith you can muster up, give it to him. He is a multiplier and he can move mountains with your faith. So hand it over to him. The idea that you're holding on to you don't think it's a good enough idea? He says, put it in my hands and watch what I can do to watch what I can do to it. Put the seed of faith into my hands so I can set before your eyes evidence of my miracle working power. I think he wants to give you some evidence that he's still in the business of doing miracles, but he needs you to take what you have in your hand and give it over to him. Open your ears and hear him saying today, give it to me, I can work with that. The fourth question that Jesus asked is, don't you remember? Don't you remember? They did not remember. Like two chapters earlier, they had forgotten what just happened. They had a hard time. They had some, some short-term memory loss. 
And I think the reason that they did is because if you look at the lives of the disciples before the death and resurrection of Jesus, they were really ungrateful. Like you won't find a lot of stories about them just being thankful. Uh, Even in the feeding of the 4,000 and the 5,000, there's no record of them saying, Jesus, thank you. Like we're so thankful that we got to be a part of this. We're so thankful uh, that, that we got to eat of this meal that you fed all these people. We're so thankful for the ministry that you're doing. There wasn't a lot of thankfulness uh, going on. They saw Jesus thank their father, his father, and he modeled that for them, but they, they weren't picking up on it. And I think because they were unthankful, uh, that's why they struggled with having a miracle mindset. That's why they tended to forget so easily. We have to be intentionally thankful if we want to remember the goodness of God. Psalm 103, David says, may I never forget. May I never forget. We know we're at risk for forgetting. David says, Lord, may I never forget the goodness of my God. You forgive all my sins. You heal all my diseases. You redeem me from death. You crown me with love and tender mercies and you fill my life with good things. May we never forget, even on our worst day, may we never forget that those things are taking place. Those things have taken place, that he is filling our life with good things. We have to remember. And thankfulness leads to remembering. Josh and I have been married almost 17 years now, 17 years in June, and I can still look around the house and I can remember who gave us what that still exists from our bridal shower. I remember that Brandon and Phoebe Anderson gave us our waffle maker. Uh, I remember my friend Kelly Foster, she gave us the little hand mixer thing that just died out. It lasted 17 years. It just gave out the other day. My old boss, Jack Abbott, he gave us our toaster. My uncle Robbie, he gave us this really fancy garlic press that I didn't register for from William Sonoma and I still have yet to use. But I remember that these people gave me these things. And the reason I remember is not because I have some crazy memory, it's because I sat down with a pen and a paper and I looked at the gift and I looked at who it was from and I took time and was intentional to thank them for it. When you sit down and you write out your thankfulness, when you sit down every day and you just say, okay, before this day passes me by, what am I thankful for? It will help you to remember. It will help you to not forget the goodness of God. If you're looking for it, you'll find it. So I want to encourage you, New Song Church, this week, Sunday to Sunday, every day this week, seven days, I want you to write a thank you card to God. God, thank you. I remember when you dot, dot, dot. Thank you. I remember. Take time to remember his goodness this week. And then the fifth question that Jesus asked is, don't you understand yet? Don't you understand yet? The disciples didn't seem to understand a lot of things yet. Uh, But I think the thing that they're struggling to understand here in this scenario is that we serve a God who is full of grace, that Jesus was full of grace. They had messed up a lot of times in this scenario. They didn't offer the seven loaves when Jesus wanted to feed the people. They, he, they didn't offer that right away. They forgot the leftovers. Like God provided for them and then they weren't good stewards with it. They left it. They forgot it. Um, they were arguing when he was trying to teach them something. They had made a lot of mistakes. And I think because they were in that place where They were probably remembering their mistakes more than they were remembering the goodness and faithfulness of God. It caused them from taking that one loaf to Jesus and saying, Jesus, we forgot the leftovers. We messed up, but we need you. Can you help us? They didn't realize, they didn't understand that he was full of grace. 
You know, we all make mistakes on a daily basis. And Satan, he loves to come and he loves to constantly accuse us and constantly remind us. He wants you to forget about the goodness of God and remember the badness of you. He wants you to remember that, that you didn't read your Bible this week. He wants you to remember that um, the Holy Spirit prompted you to pray and, and you were like, I, I would rather listen to the radio right now or I need, to, I need to do something else. I'm too busy to do that right now. He comes and reminds you, hey, remember you looked at pornography even though you promised God that you wouldn't this week. You did it. And uh, he's not going to answer your prayer now. How can you go down for altar ministry and believe God for a miracle when that's going on in your life? Re remember when you snapped and yelled at your kids? He's there to, to remind you of all of your mistakes. And what happens is those mistakes, they, they become a wedge between us and our miracle working father. We, we, we have this loaf, we have this little bit of faith that he may want to do a miracle in our lives, but then we remember that we messed up. And we forget that his word says, hey, because of the blood of Jesus, you can come boldly to the throne. You can come boldly. Even when you've messed up, come boldly because the, the blood of Jesus has covered and washed away all your sin and made you righteous. You are righteous in Christ. So come boldly when you need help, when you need favor, when you need mercy, when you need grace. Come boldly and take what you have in your hand and put it in mine. But so often that guilt keeps us from coming boldly. Our mistakes keep us from coming boldly. Psalm 32, one through two says, what happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven. If you're dealing with some guilt, maybe you had a, a rough week, maybe you made some mistakes. I want you to know that God wants to, to not only wash away your sin, but he wants to, to remove your guilt. Your guilt has been forgiven. What joys when sins are covered over. What relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared their record. What relief when you confess your sin and say, hey, we messed up. We should have given you the seven loaves right away. We shouldn't have been arguing on the boat. We should have been more responsible with those leftovers. We messed up, we're confessing. When, what relief when that happens. Then you feel like there's nothing standing between you and God anymore. Confess and then go boldly to the throne and believe God for miracles. He wants to do a miracle in your life if you will only believe him. The disciples were hungry that night on the boat. They had a real need. What's your need right now? What's your need? They had a, they had a need, they were hungry. They had one loaf of bread. Where's your faith right now? What's your faith look like? There were fish all around because they were in the boat. And they were in the boat with a man who had just fed over 9,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish, but they missed out on a miracle because they forgot who was in the boat with them. They were looking at everything else and they, they took their eyes off the miracle worker that was there all along. He never left them. He's never left you. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. No matter what you're going through, he's there in the boat with you. What's your need? What do you have in your hands? Open your ears to hear him say, give it to me. I can work with that. Come boldly to my throne. I want to help you. I want to do a miracle in your life. If you would bow your heads, close your eyes. I know you're there in your living room, but I believe that God wants to reveal some things to you. We're just gonna go through those five questions. 
Just get quiet and ask the Lord to show you. Is your heart hard in any area? Just ask him, search my heart, Lord. Where have I not guarded my heart? Where have I stopped trusting you and believing you? Maybe you could believe for healing all day, but you couldn't believe for a financial miracle. You don't trust him in the area of your finances, but you trust him in the area of health or there's, there's pockets of your heart that are hard. He wants to reveal those to you today. Ask him if there's anything that, that you're not seeing right. Ask him to help you adjust your focus. What am, I, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? Help me to see. God, help me to see your goodness in this season. Ask him to help you just to open the ears of your heart so that your faith can increase. Thank you, Jesus. Just come and remind us of your faithfulness, of your goodness. And then today, if you are, if you're dealing with some guilt and you find yourself today having a hard time boldly coming to the throne because of some mistakes you made this week, I want you right where you're at to just confess your sin just there between you and God. Let the blood of Jesus wash over you. Ask God to show you standing there clothed in robes of righteousness. Ask that guilt. Ask him to remove that guilt from your life so that you can be in relationship with him and believe him to do what he wants to do in your life. Maybe you're watching today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. You just kind of popped in, saw it on Facebook and you decided to join us, but you're ready. You're ready to surrender your life to God. You're tired of doing things your own way. You wanna do things God's way. You wanna make him the king of your heart. You're ready to learn, to dive in. You don't have all the answers right now, but you can feel him tugging on your heart. You can feel him drawing you with his, his kindness. He's drawing you in with his kindness and you can feel it and you wanna give your life to him. If you would, I'm gonna say a prayer and I want you to repeat this prayer with me. And I want you to know that when you do, that something amazing takes place, that you become a brand new born again spirit, that you are made alive in Christ Jesus. The word says that if we confess with our mouth and we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord and that he is raised from the dead, that we become a part of the family of God. So as we say these words, Know that when we do and you, you say them and you believe them in your heart that a miracle is taking place. If you would say this with me, Father God, I ask you to forgive me of all my sins, to cleanse me. I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again for me. You took my place. Now I'm asking you, to come and take your place in my heart. Would you be the king of my heart? I wanna live for you forever. I'm not turning back to my old ways. 
I will follow you and live for you for all of my days. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for finding me today. I love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.